A reading from the Holy Twitter. Things will be fine. Eventually. In thousands of years. For rocks. That was the brilliant wit of at Donnie, a.k.a. Donnie Sapphire. This is Eyeball, and I'm your host, John Loomis, and I bid you good holy week, good Friday, good evening, and welcome, friends, to a good, nay, great episode with the very talented large-format narrative portrait photographer Greg Miller, and we have a good chat talking about so many things. I mean... So, how many things are you asking me? Honestly, the secret's in here somewhere. Someone listening going to find secret sauce that's going to turn the tide in their creative career. We talk about photography as both craft and magic trick. We talk about really big cameras and nuclear ego bombs. We talk about collaborating with subjects and creative roadblocks, self-imposed. We talk about suspending disbelief, finding an altruistic voice, and chasing validation. Like I said, we cover all the bases here on your Good Friday, Good Friends. Just a note, we recorded this podcast with Greg before we entered into the quarantine Groundhog's Day-esque existence we're all currently living under. Just so you have the right context. Enjoy. I don't want to deal with inventory. I don't want to deal with flaky other fibers or whatever else, but at the same time, you're already kind of doing it without really doing it. So, Yeah, no, and I've never been good at lending people my equipment, and my equipment has never been in a condition that anyone would want to use it. Yeah, lending a camera is a really, is a very personal thing. I mean, I don't really feel any particular affinity to any of my cameras I have around still. Maybe my RZ, I've been through a lot with, but anything beyond that, I just... It would be weird to lend out, I, I, you know, I, yeah, no. it's usually, you know, stands and lights and crap like that, that, you know, has value, but at the same time, like whatever, it's just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that film people, I think are able to do this more, you know, I think they have more gear and I think, I don't know, maybe their gear is in better condition. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, no, and, and like my gear, it always feels like handing them my toothbrush or something, <laughs> you know, it always feels they're like, uh, you know, I'll pass. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, I do enough of that with my kids where I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Especially when, like, my kids have just gotten, you know, whatever seasonal sickness, you know, that just goes oh through quite God, wildfire. Yeah. And they're not mm-hmm. even really sick. They're just like low level sick kind of crap. And, but mm-hmm. you, and of course, you're taking care of them. You know, you're, you're getting sick every single day with it. So you're just like, this is, oh, this yeah, is forget it. I mean, yeah. It's like a, your house is a petri dish. It is. I mean, it literally is a petri dish. Not to mention my, mm-hmm. my wife works at a children's hospital. So oh, forget it. Uh, yeah. we get, we get everything. We get all the things. It's interesting to hear you frame your opposition to gear. And the way I hear it is like kind of gear as a fetish gear as a, the exclusionary way that gear can be towards people creating a photography. Yeah. You know, rightly or wrongly. And I think it's, it's rightly because people are trying to describe the quality of your work. You're very well known as this, large format photographer it works in your advantage there's a cachet to it um there's a relationship you create with your subjects that really informs how you work and the dynamics of that there's a sense that clients have when they 
hire you out to do something and they're thinking, oh man, I can picture him lugging his day by 10 down the street. But also to hear you talk about the expense of this or that and, and how we don't really need to trade in that kind of economics of scale of, of photography. It kind of fights against that thing. How do, how do you square those two things up? Yeah, no, I, I actually hate talking about the equipment or or the camera, but I, I, I mean, I am happy to, and, and often people ask me about that and, and it's cool, but this idea of the eight by 10, you know, I, I could see it being construed as elitist or something. And I, and I really, I mean, maybe that's not the right word, but I, I just don't, you know, I'm really, I, I just love the camera and it does something I want to do. And I can't quite, you know, even if, I mean, you know, it's been, I mean, that camera was obsolete at the beginning of the last century. So like, certainly, you know, I've used and continue to use cameras that are much better suited for lots of things, you know, speed. Uh, I mean, cameras are really sharp. The ca- you know, the camera in your phone, everybody's phone now is like really it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's come on and, and it's so good. And my affection for the camera and for using eight by 10 is really has to do with this other thing, which is, you know, I just, I'm so used to it and I love it. I love the way people respond to it. You know, when there, there's a, there's a wooden camera sitting there in the middle of the room with you and your subject, you know, there's just, <clears throat> or out on the street, especially, um, you know, there's this presence, you know, it's this big wooden presence and, and then I disappear for a second. I go underneath a dark cloth and I come out and people are like, what the hell? And so I feel like even if people, it's not like I'm, I want to impress everybody. Surprise. You know, I'm really, because actually a lot of people don't even, they're unfazed. They just figure, I mean, people that know nothing about photography figure, well, I guess this is what people use. You know, like they don't, you know, I've, I've shown up. I've even for a professional, for a magazine shoot, I've shown up and, and I've done the whole shoot and nobody, they're like, oh, by the way, you know, what is that camera? You know what I mean? Like nobody said anything, you know? Really? And so, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, so, I mean, it just runs the gamut. I mean, other people are like, you know, they can't stop, they can't get enough of it. And, you know, but children, for example, don't know necessarily any better. I mean, some, you know, kids love to look through it and I show them the ground glass and everything. But at any rate, I mean, I think that for me, you know, the camera is all about this process of making a picture and and it's so well suited for photographing people, which is all I want to do. Right. And um, and so in that way, you know, it's perfect for me and I can't quite quit it. You know, there's a lot of impressive cameras out there, but nothing. I haven't fallen in love with anything large or small that has done for me what my eight by 10 camera has done. And I see that actually kind of as much of a, as much of a strength as it is a liability, actually. I mean, obviously, you know, for the obvious reasons that, I mean, there are people that hire me, but there's a whole bunch of people that are like, you know, would either they, I'm not on their radar or they roll roll their eyes at the idea of hiring me. I mean, I'm, I mean, I do, I obviously photograph with digital cameras. I do advertising work and I, I shoot with medium format digital when I'm doing those jobs. And I do this thing that's sort of a hybrid. <laughs> Just recently, actually, about a month ago, I brought, you know, the art director said, listen, you know, why don't you bring the 8x10 camera to this ad job we were doing? And I was like, <laughs> you know, are you sure? Like, I mean, that's crazy. But I mean, but of course, you know, why not? It's a camera. And there was this crazy thing that happened. Because we're there on set with all the people, like we have, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, you know what it's like. And when I was photographing with the 8x10 camera, everybody got quiet as if we, it was, we could have shot sound. You know what I mean? Right. It, was, it was crazy. And it was, it was like a photography church or something. See, that, that's what I love about it. And, you know, I love, I love that you were literally doing a magic trick. I mean, that's, it, that's basically, it, it not only connects us back to the history of photography, but 
your work and certainly the way in which you've worked. And I don't know if you still do a lot of the printing of your own work, but that immediately brings me back to being in high school, being 15, having, you know, the lights off or having the, you know, the red lights on and, and seeing a print blossom and developer. The connection I have to why this is such a cool thing. I, I love meeting new people. I love doing work. I love being out in the world. I love using all these different tools. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Photography is magic. And the large format camera, in a way, I, I totally hear what you're saying in terms of it being potentially seen as elitist. But I also think that it's actually somewhat more democratic, too, because there's no hiding anything. Yes. You're here. There's this big thing. You're not, you're not being fancy about it. But you're saying, hey, I see you. I'm interested in you. I want to use this giant thing and let's work together. And that relationship is really special that you're able to have with these client, with these subjects and the world as you find them, whether it's for a commercial shoot or, a, you know, commission or just out and about. And that's, I think that's a really cool thing that you've been able to experience throughout your career. When I first started photographing with that camera, you know, I, I had always already photographing on the street and the street was always where I wanted to be photographing. So if I changed my camera, if I went to eight by 10, I knew that I would have to be photographing with that camera on the street. And my, my first camera was this Kodak 2D that was, you know, really, it's a field camera, but it was like really boxy and right. uh, had big pieces of wood. And, and my tripod was inappropriate. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> and I mean, oh my God. And I realized that everybody was staring at me. And, and I, I think there was, a, at first, I think I, there was a, there was this moment of like, what are you what are you looking at? You know, like there was this uh, moment of self-consciousness and then I might've walked past a window or, or like a mirror or something. And I was like, saw myself and I was like, Oh my God, like, look at me. This is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, so I realized that the, the thing that I think is disarming for people is that they are able to look at me and I'm able, I allow them to look at me and they're not the only ones being seen. And I think that that's the first step in that, collaboration that you're talking about right where they're able to look at me i'm able to be like this presence and i actually in, in fact i mean i would say i'm taking the pressure off of them it's like i could have a clown suit on almost you know i've learned a lot with with that because you know really these are people you know people i photograph on the street did not wake up thinking they were going to be photographed mm -hmm. you know they're not models they're not professionals they're they're just people that are on their way to work and really are like you know i don't think i want to do this they're kind of not a hundred percent on board and I'm kind of just easing people into this idea of me photographing them. It's not so much like I, you know, can I take your picture as much as like, I'm already taking your picture. Like I'm, I just see, you know, I can kind of see something in you already. And, and this is my idea. And the core of what you're saying is that the value of seeing someone and being seen is a very special thing unto itself. I've always thought about that. People have turned me down to photograph them 10 million times. But there's also something that stops people in their tracks when you say, listen, you know, I, I happen to notice what you're doing. I think, you know, in your, what you're saying is I see you, I find value in it. I'd love to record that together. And we don't think about the ways in which, you know, hiding behind this camera, even though I will say that I see not necessarily value, but a certain trick to confusing people or confounding people or not being clearly heard on set sometimes especially when people, at least in my work, a lot of people I photograph think they know what I want. And that's incredible because I don't even know what I want half the time. 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to discover it. And so mm-hmm. they start giving you this thing. And there's been times, I mean, there, years and years ago, there's been times when people were so good at it that I kind of actively was trying to make a bad photograph of them, not even to, you know, not to use in any way, but just, okay, well, this person, can they give me something that doesn't quite express it itself in the way we see beauty or the way we see confidence or whatever else? So, you know, it's really interesting the way you talk about this because just being able to both see each other as you shoot, you know, in a, you know, I think the romantic way we kind of think about this in ter- is in terms of like Abaddon and, you know, him standing aside his camera and him being ready to go. And he's well, you know, we see this, you know, well-dressed man looking at this well-dressed person. And there's this, there's this exchange, you know, they're, they're equals. And whereas so much of what I'm, you know, the, the picture of me on set in which ends up being photographed by the client in order to be used as some BTS thing. I'm all hunched over and <laughs> probably sweaty. I'm basically doing yoga and everything else is happening. Not to mention, I mean, I got under, under a dark, a dark cloth on the street when it's hot. It's probably pretty hot too, but uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it does change the dynamics and what's at stake. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like uh, actually the first thing I thought of when you were talking about that is that how great Avedon looks when he's photographing. And I, a long time ago, I, I, I let go of this idea of me looking good while I'm photographing, <laughs> you know, that. Yeah. Well, you know, um, he's in a air the control, other thing, he's in an air conditioned studio all the time <laughs> and people are coming to him and. I think, I think I could have like air controlled everything. I I think I would still look a little, you know, like it would just look ridiculous. No, but I think that, you know, for me like that, this idea of that collaboration, you know, there's this idea that I have of what a picture might look like. And I may have just come up with that a few seconds before I meet the person. I mean, I'm dealing a lot with the serendipity of moments and street photography. So I, I don't have a lot of time to think of things. So I go with my gut instinct, but I, I feel like I often, I could be convinced completely of what I think is a good picture. And more often than not, and I would say maybe all the time that, that the pic, the good picture is actually this thing that I am. I have no idea going into it. The best pictures of, you know, if we were just to, you know, take out the 10, my 10 best pictures, let's say those pictures are, I've, I've observed are moments where I was not completely in control. And right. so, and if there was, if there was an advantage, if there is an advantage to using a big camera or my camera, but I think it's probably true <laughs> with any camera is that it throws you off, you know, that you're a little bit like off balance mm-hmm. all the time. And if you're on the street, like, I, I don't think I do as well in a controlled environment. And, you know, when I have a week's notice and everybody knows they're going to be photographed and, you know, I have everything all buttoned up and we have a storyboard and everything. I mean, I, I mean, I can do that, but I, I feel like even then, even within that, I'm looking for a way for us to throw something into it. That's like, whoa, you know, like shit, you know, and I, and I think that that, I think that's always true. I mean, I, I just think that photography is not best at being all set up and completely controlled. I mean, it, it does an amazing job of that because then it's super sharp and then it's what you expect. I mean, that. I mean, it's sort of like baseline of what photography is, but I feel like what photography does better than any, better than that is this thing where it does something you can't explain. You know, you, you're just like, I can't even, I I didn't even, I didn't even see that on my context or or you see it on your context, but you didn't see it in real life. Right. Or, you know, that stuff, like that's where the magic is. My students will ask me, you know, because I, I teach large format at the International Center of Photography and my students will say, you know, how do you do that? thing where it's spontaneous 
And I tell them, you know, it, it actually is never really that spontaneous. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never, it, it, I mean, cause I go up to people. The first thing I do is ruin a picture. You know, I could say beautiful, beautiful moment. And I'm like, the first thing I do is like, excuse me. And they're like, it's over. Right. You know, that beautiful movement is over. And that actually took, there was like a learning curve there with like being able to accept that I basically just missed the picture. It's not like I have a Leica around my neck and I take it first and then I go over to people. No. I'm interested only in this other picture that I could possibly get once I've talked to everybody. And so when I'm talking to my students, I say, look, you know, the spontaneity is in this thing of being off balance while intending to do the thing you're doing. You know, like I'm totally deliberate. I tell everybody exactly what to do. I mean, and, and then they don't listen to me, which is the other thing that keeps me off balance. And so like, so I've got people not listening to me. I've got, you know, cops coming over to me. I've got, you know, whatever, you know, I, I've, I have traffic. I've got, you know, everything I've, I have. And, and also there's the limitations of the equipment, which is it's on a tripod and, and all that jazz in this film. So, I mean, I, I guess there's just plenty for me, plenty to keep me off balance. And that I think is where the magic is, but certainly I, I have tons and tons. I mean, like all of us, you know, we have, if we're lucky, 90% are shit. And then 10% is good. And probably more like 1% could approach really good. See, I wonder, I, I think the percentages actually get higher in terms of shittiness as you get older in, in your career because your your standards get elevated as you move along. So mm. oh, that's an interesting way of thinking. What was, what was a success early on? Might then later be like, well, yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, of course, I did it that like that. Mm. But so what? Yeah, but is that where's where's the magic? But is that your standards? Yeah, I don't know if that's standard. I think that you know, I think we're not as good when we're older because we're safe. Or no, that's true. We're we're actually we took risks and stuff like that we didn't know we were taking. And but the thing is, what happens is, is the this is the curse of life is that we. As we get smarter, like we're way smarter than, I mean, I'm way smarter than I was when I was younger. I mean, I wish I knew then what I know now, Sure. but now I'm safer. So I'm smarter, but safer. And then I was dumber and riskier and I took more chances, but I was stupid. I think you're, and so, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. But I also think that <laughs> I, I can't help, but throw a grenade into my own process with some regularity that completely fucks up what I would have normally been doing. And whether or not, you know, I've sold systems of cameras multiple times that were working just fine. I've completely disrupted the way I light stuff for clients who were, you know, as soon as they started referred to it in a certain way, like, oh, we want that bright poppy thing. And you're like, whoa, wait, what? What do you say? You blew it. Yeah, that. you blew no, it. Yeah, that, you're going to have to. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. I, I'm really. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, I dig that. That's cool. That's disruption. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know another way to go do it. It's so important to me for I had to have something at stake that mm -hmm. as soon as it feels like, Oh, well, let's do the thing we do with the same lens. I'm just, I'm out. I can't, I can't do it. Um, or I feel myself really, you know, like kind of like getting in my own little shell and not really engaging. Mm. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I know what the results will be. I've seen it many times and it's just like, fuck, well, you know, there's no reason that couldn't have been a good shoot with, a, with an interesting subject. And like, why didn't I find something there? And part of the reason is because it was easy. Uh, I think you're in general, I think you're right. Um, and I hope that with all the new tools that are just literally around us everywhere, we all find a way to use, you know, the intelligence we've gained hard, hard fought really 
to better advantage to tell better stories because mm-hmm. you know that's that's where it is out there. I I think about that in terms of the history of photography and sort of you know you know Greg you you're now sort of you're rubbing up against legend status here, buddy. Oh my God, no, don't say that. Well, that's going to be like somebody telling you that they like your high poppy light. You know, like I'm going to have to. Oh no, you no. you need to fight against it. <laughs> I'm kidding. One hundred percent think you need to fight against it, but people. You know, they think about your bodies of work in sort of this very canonical way. That's very sweet of you. I, I don't see it that way. I mean, I think I have um, imposter syndrome or something. I don't, you know, I, I just, yeah. I mean, but I, I super appreciate that. And, and I think on some level, I mean, I'm, I, I, I thank you and I receive it. But, but you know, like, you know, I, I'm kind of swimming in all the things that I want to do or haven't done. Or I screwed up years ago. Yeah, which means whatever, you're a right? normal, balanced human. That's being. right, normal. Yeah, I mean, normal we could we could name yeah. any number of divers who are also of a certain status who whose work hasn't been interesting in I don't know longer than I've been alive, really. But mm-hmm. still, we think about them in this very special way. I mean, you know, you're you're part of parts of photography that I'm not a part of. You know, I don't, I'm not really in books. I'm not in galleries. I, I, it's not really a part of the industry that I've swam in. Though I've gone to their parties and drank their beer for years and years and years. So, and I say that so that I understand that there are things I just don't know. I don't understand. I don't get the way it works. I might be missing something. Mm. Episode I published today, we start by talking about me being uh, at a bar and saying how much I dislike Jeff Wall's photography. Sorry, <laughs> Jeff, to bring you up yet again in another episode. No, I really do dislike your <laughs> photography. Um, yeah, we could just trash Jeff Wall every episode. Oh, cool. I, I didn't know that was an accepted thing to do, but <laughs> you could just call the, uh, just change the name of the podcast. The fuck Jeff Wall. Yeah. I don't know if that has the right cachet. Um, I know he did. My wife told me a story recently, which I, I do not remember. I don't think it even happened. I think she's, I don't think she's lying, but I don't think that happened the way she's saying. I used to have a, bright pink t-shirt, which I had custom printed that said, fuck Bob Novak. Mm. People might remember who Bob Novak is, but he's a, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> she says that I wore it to Sunday dinner at her parents' house. I, I, I'm willing to do a lot of things in my life and I do believe in my convictions, but I'm almost positive that did not happen unless I did not know I was supposed to be going to her parents' house. <laughs> and even then I would have gone by like a TJ Maxx and bought a crappy shirt. So that's funny. I don't know. Yeah, I, I shut out um, memories from my uh, visiting my my wife's uh, parents' house too. But her side of the family is the Italian connection, right? And that's right. And but her parents uh, moved to uh, Brooklyn in 1968, so they're originally from Italy. And so we go and visit that family. My Polish wife, her family uh, immigrated into Greenpoint, as you do. Oh yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's nice when things line up so perfectly with our expectations, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That is nice. Um, <laughs> it's nice, nice know, sadly, terrible, but yeah, nice. Yeah, my parents are a little further out in Bensonhurst. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's an. So I want to, I want to, I want to draw a couple of lines here so that we understand. Kind of, I want to talk about you today, but I also want to go back a little bit because we we can totally stop talking about the eight by ten as a piece of gear, but it is very interesting that you transitioned, from my understanding, from you know, 35 millimeter, like carrying around a Leica, literally from newspaper days to this much larger way of seeing the world. Was that a slow process or were you just like, let's, you know, in the same way I'm talking about, what's their grenade in this? Yeah. You know, there was some of that, but I was going to go back for a second and say, I, I knew I wanted to be a photographer in high school. So that's like a, 
that's unusual a little bit. You know, like I was, I was the editor of my yearbook and I, you know, befriended or was the assistant of a, of a photographer in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I'm from. And he was really great. And we, I became his assistant and I wasn't, I didn't suck. Like I printed for him. So I, before I went to college and I was really young, like I was 18, like 19, I knew how to print silver fiber. Um, I was doing a lot of printing for him. And then, and then I was, I was lighting for him. So I I had such a base when I arrived and and I got this, um, I got, uh, I went to school visual arts and this is in, this is 1986 when I arrived in New York at School of Visual Arts. And at that time, there were a lot of fine art photographers there. But, you know, my freshman year of college, I befriended these seniors who were working on the yearbook there. And I just had broken up with my girlfriend, or actually she broke up with me. <laughs> and, um, but I was, I was trying to get my mind, I was so heartbroken. I was there in New York and I was really, really lonely and it was hard. And, and I was like, what can I do? I have to, I have to get my mind off of this. And I, so I, I went to the yearbook office and I said, look, I, I worked on a yearbook. I said, you know, I'd like to photograph for the yearbook. And I, I, I can't remember what I looked like. I mean, I was just a kid and, and, and they said, okay, you know, here, here's a couple of roles, you know, knock yourself out. I went, as soon as they handed me those rolls of film, I went and I like made these pictures. I like, I worked on it. I kicked my ass. Like I brought those, I mean, maybe, I don't know, you know, two hours later I came back and I was like, uh, here's the two rolls. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they were like, you know, and they're like, whoa. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll process them and get back to you, you know? And they just figured they would never see me again. And I think the next day I was like, did you get the film back? Like, how was it? This was all I did. I really was obsessed. I started photographing for magazines like right then, you know, I mean, I was really, I was like 20 years old and that was, that came very easy for me. And I started making money and I loved making money or I needed to make money. I mean, it was just like the making money part just felt like a scam. I just can't, couldn't believe that somebody was paying me to do this thing I love so much. But meanwhile, I was taking these, when I would go to class, I was looking at this fine artwork and I was studying with fine art photographers and I almost felt ashamed of this commercial work. Meanwhile, my, you know, was it, was it well, like I was a hack, way? you know, like, had you not considered the zone? I, 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 think, I think this idea, this idea doesn't even exist anymore that there, that there was used to be this separation of oh, fine right, art and right. commercial work. It doesn't exist anymore. That's why it's like, almost like, what are you talking about? You know, back then it would be like, if you were, if you did commercial work, it would be the kiss of death in some fine art career you might've imagined. And this division inside of me has like kind of almost disappeared now. I mean, in the beginning, I remember being sort of embarrassed or, or kind of just like playing it down. But meanwhile, I had this fine artwork that was really important to me. And it was like, I don't know how to say it. Like, it was just, I was really militant. And there was a period, it was like black and white. And I remember my, you know, when I first started working or showing my portfolio around, it was all black and white. And I would show it to magazines. And they said, well, we have this assignment, but I don't know, can you do color? I was like, what? No, never. You know what I mean? I was just, I mean, I was like, turn down job. I mean, it was just weird. I mean, it was just like not. Because I remember that question early on. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Can I do color? What? Like, <laughs> I know, it's just crazy. Yeah. I can, I mean, well, back then, I mean, you had to decide, are you going to put black and white film in your camera or right, color no, no, film I mean, in your camera? Was, and now, you know, was, you know yeah. I started back enough, long enough ago that that was, I was there for that. But at the same time, yeah. it is, it is a funny, you know, the things, the questions you're asked and the things, you know, the, the hurdles and boxes of all this is, are kind of insane. I don't think that the fine art versus commercial photography or someone making money off their photography divide has completely cleared up. I think we're still, we're still in that, yeah. you know, stuck somewhat. Well, some people are able to 
marry the two or they have work that kind of there's, there's much more flexibility. I, yeah. I, I feels like, yeah. Yeah. But it, not everybody. I mean, for sure. sure, you know, like, and, 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 but at any rate, and I don't know if I've really completely pulled that off either. I mean, I, I've done really well for myself being able to shoot commercially, basically doing my work, you know? I mean, my work is not so far off. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, if your work was abstract, I mean, there's no way it's not applicable to anything commercial. I mean, and also, you know, there's this fear that like, if it's too, you know, if you're, if it's too appealing commercially, like, what is it? You know what I mean? Is it, is it shit basically? Like, that's why I've always kind of wanted to push the edge a little bit because I, I'm I'm afraid a little bit of like, I kind of ride this line of, I like to feel my heart, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've. But without it being hallmarky or something, I mean, I, I don't want that. You know what I mean? I, I want it to be, I want you to feel these people in the camera, in the picture, but I don't want it to be like I'm pulling your heartstrings intentionally or, or cheapen it. You know, I don't know. There's a duality right, so that I, I think is maybe good and bad. So the answer you know, is that but it, it's was, the way it was it always is. kind of mixed up. You were doing a little of this, a yeah, little of that. From, the, the from day one. The same way. From day one, I respect clarity. I respect, like, if you know who you are, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, and I, in fact, I love that on every level. I love that in everyone. And, and I love the, I love fine art photographers that are like, I, you know, like, do you use strobes? Like, what are the, you know, what are those? You know what I mean? Like, and I love that. I love, you know, they, they have no idea. Like, they'll, they'll write to me and say, um, listen, I, I actually, somebody wants to pay me for something. Like, how, how do I, do I have to make an invoice? You know, I'm like, whoa, okay, yeah, let's, uh, you know, I actually love things about both. If I was only a fine art photographer, I would miss feeling needed the way I feel needed when I, when a design director asks me to, to make a picture for them. If I was only commercial, I would miss completely self-expression, you know, this thing, just following my heart and doing what I want. I would miss that. I mean, you're an interesting middle ground case because your work really bridges some, some of these divides that it's because it's so straightforward, you know, in terms of there's a person, oftentimes there might be in the middle or close to the middle of the frame. We're able to see the contextualized idea of what, what was happening, where they are. We're able to put them on, on the planet in some way. One of the things I was interested in talking to you about was we kind of had this, have had this return to, you know, and I, I said straight photography, I, I, that doesn't have any meaning. But we've had this sort of re- this complicated relationship over the past few years with what I think some people refer to as authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're talking about intention or subject matter or relationship. I don't know what they actually are trying to do. It sort of maybe feels, especially commercially, you know, in magazines, like it's a mode in which they can work that people sort of get, give them a pass to do something extremely straightforward. Have you noticed anything uh, uh, in terms of looking at magazines and that things seem very straight ahead? I think we're craving real, you know, I mean, I I think, and this idea of like, you know, Photoshopping women and making them look thinner than they are. And I mean, our, our teenagers are like, you know, have eating disorders and because they're looking at magazines that are bullshit, you know? And, and I think that there is real reason for concern. And I, I think that that, and we, and we have actually, I mean, now, you know, people are responding to that or, you know, they were Photoshopping less. It's like uncool to Photoshop. I mean, I know it's like, photo, believe me, they're Photoshopping like crazy, but I, I do think that there's a trend towards natural people, like the way we really look, you know, there's a trend, but you all, and that's all I'm interested in, by the way, you know, like I'm just not eating the week before that photo shoot. So they're like, they're kind of, they're, they're Photoshopping in real life in order to make the natural product 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that. I mean, and yeah, I mean, and there's plenty of models that look that way or they're really thin, but I, and, but I mean, I think that there's this, I mean, it's like that ideal. I mean, the problem, it has nothing to do with the models. It has to do with the ideal. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and to me, that ideal is maybe what's cracking. And to me, that's probably not a bad thing, actually. No, no, I, I'm, I'm and, fully yeah. happy with yeah. people being happy in the bodies they have. I mean, to me, you know, like you were talking about people who are, who know who they are. That's the greatest mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I, I, I think it's most people, you know, especially most people who work with other people, especially people who are not famous and, try to help them discover what might be the thing that is appealing to us. At least that's, you know, you meet someone who just know, like you can feel that they really know what their own skin feels like. You're like, fuck that. That's awesome. You know, it's like, it's this like rare thing. Yeah. My, you know, I'm not an arbiter of what is good. I have my own standards. I have my own, you know, work. I have my own frustrations. I wonder when we kind of like look back in this, you know, sort of funny way that, we become so interested in the processes and the, you know, the old technologies, you know, like this a few years ago was that 10 type stuff that people were shooting like some Hollywood stuff on 10 type. And I'm, you know, cool. Awesome. Let's, let's see some 10 type stuff. But then you actually see the pictures and they're not really that interesting. They're just shot on 10 type. And, you know, just like, the, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's lots of large format fabric in the world that isn't particularly interesting. It's just shot on a really big camera with a, and has a big negative maybe. Or the same way that something shot on this is just the thing that was shot on that. Like, I wonder if we are able to see clearly, you know, this is kind of gets in sort of a, you know, mass media sort of um, content problem here. But I just want photography to be good by itself. Like, oh, yeah, photography yeah. can just, just it itself without words, without anything else just is enough. Like that. Look at that picture. It's great. Oh, and it also was shot on ten type, or also was shot on an iPhone, or also like it doesn't matter. Like the thing itself has to be a thing. And oh yeah, I wonder if you know. I guess this is a cyclical conversation that happens, but I always want to focus on what it is because that's the only thing that really endures. Is like, is this a picture I want to see? Is is there content here that I care about? It, can I communicate or engage with? the point or the intention or something about what the photographer brought to me and, you know, commercial photography, commercial subjects, commercial subject matter challenges at some point, because they're probably trying to sell you something, but there's a certain sense of like good versus the processes, the craft, the, the, the technique, the technology that I think we're always kind of rubbing against. And, you know, do you think about sort of that every, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think about it to the extent that I don't, I'm not interested in the equipment at all. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in what I'm taking a picture of. And that's kind of, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about originally, which is that there's, you know, what is the picture about? You know, right. like, what is it of, you know, and, and what's your, and, and I think right now, especially, I mean, the world is really screwed up right now. I mean, it's like a lot of broken things and, and I feel like why not use this medium to do something, but you don't have to. I mean, I, I mean, but I just think what you're talking about there is it doesn't matter in the end, whether you use an iPhone or an eight by 10 camera, like what's important is that you're making a picture that actually says something and that, you know, moves people, motivates people, transports me someplace. You know, I'm like, Oh man, you know, I learned something about myself or I learned something about someone else, a truth about them or truth about myself. 
Like that's what we want to look at pictures about. Sure. I mean, that's kind of why we do this to learn about. Yeah, ourselves. no, exactly. No, I mean, I think, yeah, the camera is terrible at making the picture better. Mm-hmm. If your pictures suck, your pictures are going to suck in 10 type. If your pictures suck, they're going to suck in eight by 10. You know, if the subject matter sucks, you know, the camera's not going to help you. And look, everybody has to go through their process. I'm not like criticizing anyone on their process, but if someone thinks that their pictures are going to be better in eight by 10, they might be disappointed. Well, wait a second. I and, thought that the bigger a picture can and, be, the better it is. <laughs> I think we've, we've well, you that. Yeah. And if it's color, it's going to be better. And yeah, no, I mean, but I think Todd Papa George used to say, if a picture sucks, make it bigger. And if it still sucks, make it in color or the other way around. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but make it in color and then make it bigger. Anyway, but I think. I um, Todd Papa George's first uh, appearance on Eyeball. I don't see him <laughs> yeah. getting a lot of screen time, but uh, yeah, know, no, exactly. Nick snuck in there. I think it is tempting to kind of default to the equipment, like to start thinking about that. But I think there's also a whole bunch of other things that people think about when they go to make pictures that are, that's not the thing itself with, you know, like the kind of, you know, a lot of times people are obsessed with talking to the people. Like they are very, very nervous. Like they won't make a picture that they want to make because they're terrified of talking to people. Mm. And so I, and I, I teach a class on approaching strangers at International Center of Photography as well. And uh, Tara Brock, I don't know if you know who yeah. she is, but she's like this Buddhist and she's awesome. And she'll call, she calls these things false refuges, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're like these f- places we go to kind of seek comfort, but it's really not doing anything for us. It's a little bit, I mean, and you know, of course this could be drinking or anything, you know, like something really bad for you, like poison, but all, all that shit is just not, is really not the thing itself. Like really, like, I think the question we need to be asking ourselves, like, what do I want to be looking at? Like, or what, you know, what is this thing? What's really concerning me? Or what is the thing that's really a number one right now? Sure. But I, I think the purpose, you know, this is kind of in the realm of purpose and, and finding, you know, what is your thing? Like, what is your true, like, why are you on earth kind of stuff? And, and I think that that, I mean, just universally, I mean, I just, everybody I've ever seen that has like found their place has done it through hours and hours of kind of doing something. And that can mean in the wrong direction, you know, like that is totally okay. Oh, like it's, does you know, off, I mean, you have to, yeah, right. You have to go the wrong direction. So anyway, so I think it's just in this other direction and it's a direction that's like awkward and annoying. And you're like, Oh, you know, like it is super, super frustrating. And, um, but I think about it all the time. And, and I think that, that, I mean, this is like where I hang out, you know, like <laughs> because I know, <laughs> because I know, I mean, I know how to make good. I know how to make pictures. Like, you know how to make pictures. Like it's, we, like you get to a level of proficiency with your equipment and everything. And, and you, you could, and especially if you shoot commercially, like we do, like I can make a really good picture for somebody like that's not a big deal. But what's a big deal is if I make a picture that moves somebody. Right. And that's a way taller order. And I have to kind of like be ready to kind of take a risk of like being like, okay, there it is. And everybody's like, that's not a big deal, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. And, and I'm like, okay, okay, back to the drawing board. And then I, you know, like you have to kind of keep presenting it to the world. Sure. Like, here's something else and here's something else. I have this kind of one-off project that I did. I lived behind our local drive-in movie theater. Yeah. Uh, it's called waiting for, that was, and, new, that um, was new to me. I, I don't, th- yeah, no, I mean, it's a sleeper. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and, and, and I, we lived there for maybe a couple of years and maybe longer, actually, I don't know, but 
anyway, I mean, I did this project over the course of maybe two or three years and, and I kind of befriended the owner and he's a great guy. And, and he started, you know, he was a manager of that drive in movie theater when he was younger. And then he kind of saved up his pennies or he had money, whatever. But he, I mean, but it definitely is not like he was like loaded or anything, but he bought it from the original owner. And now he has one of the most successful drive-ins. Like, well, you know, one of the ones that's like still kind of going up here in Connecticut, Eastern Connecticut. And we actually had the original owners. We were renting at that time, the original owner's home. And so we, you know, so we just walked through the woods and then all of a sudden, like it opened up into this like drive-in movie theater, you know, with all these trucks and people hanging out. And I was like, and like when people would get there early to kind of get a spot and, and the sun was going down at that time, right? Because they're waiting for this, you know, the movie to start. The movie doesn't start until it's dark. Like no, that's interesting. Dark. I, I hadn't thought about that project in terms of the quality of light because they have to wait through this beautiful just dust yeah. light in order to get to the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Well, and we went, I mean, when I went, we went with the kids and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is incredible. I mean, people sitting around in the back of their trucks and like eating Chinese food or whatever they're doing and are making out or, or like they're not they're in their car, you know, like even better, like, you know, in this magic light and, and, um, and then also, but the sun goes down and it's that kind of my favorite light, which is, I think of it as F8 at an eighth of a second, that, you know, that when the light goes behind, the sun goes behind the horizon, but it, so you have this urban twilight, a kind of a glow over everybody. Right. And there is a period of time where that's like kind of orange, but I also like it when it's blue. And then, I realized that there was a whole dance of light and, and, but also, I mean, but also this incredible display of humanity, which is all I'm interested in. And, and they're waiting to watch movies and the movies were often like, I would, I have one, there was a couple, like they were, I mean, this is, you know, now everybody <laughs> it goes on a date. They just text, they don't talk to each other, but there was this couple that were on texting, texting whoever, and they're in the back of a pickup truck. And they have their cell phones and they're not relating to each other at all. And they're, and then you see the, the, the glow, screens yeah. in the background and they're just, you know, and, and, but they're there to watch love. Actually. No, not love actually, but the, but a movie like yeah, that yeah. It was like uh, love sick something. Anyway, I, I just can't remember. It's on my website anyway, but, <laughs> but I love that, that they, you know, like, um, and then there was another one where the woman was upright and they had the, they were in the back of an SUV and, and it created like this egg shape and the, and the man is like completely flaccid, like just laying there like a, you know, like a seal or something, you know, on the beach and, and she's kind of upright and, and they're waiting for Iron Man, you know, <laughs> like I just love, and I love this, like the title would kind of inform like what was going on. See, and, and here, you know, we, here we have yeah. you stuck in between, <laughs> you know, fine art and commerce again, you know, where like you're really drawn to the capitalistic thing there to see, but you're so like interested in the body pose and like sort of the, well, sort that's of, true. Yeah. But you know, well, that's, but that's like, that's art. That's the history of art. It's yeah. like this, you know, these shapes, these contortions and like sort of the, the meaning they might, you know, give us. It's interesting. But I think that that, I mean, I, I think of that as straight up fine art because I, I'm, when I'm making that work, I'm thinking nobody's going to give a shit about this. You know, like I have to kind of make work, in this direction of like, I don't know who's going to care about this. I mean, if I'm shooting the work and I'm like, everybody's going to love this. I'm thinking that's going to be shit. I feel like you haven't really done anything unless you have kind of made work in this direction where, you know, maybe nobody's going to get it. 
you kind of losing everybody. Right. So yeah. You I, know, like you maybe it's an audience of one almost, you know, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I've, I've always thought that the only way to inspire others is to first inspire ourselves. And that's yeah. that, that if we can't rise ourselves up to give a shit about our own pictures, there's very little chance that someone else is going to care unless the person in them happens to be crazy famous or something else. And they have been occasionally in my own work, but that's, it's beside the point. That's, and, and again, we get back to whether or not that's actually any good. If it's, you know, just a illustrative example of this person who we recognize. Well, also, but I was, I was just going to riff off of that and say that, you know, we live in a time of likes and, sure. you know, where external affirmation is so important. And I don't think I actually have to turn all that shit off. Like when I'm making work, cause I can't, you know, it's why, you know, if I have a new project, it's, it takes a while for it to come up on my Instagram, you know, and I work so slowly, I mean, not slowly because of the camera, but because I, you know, I spend years on a project. And so I, I, it takes me time. I mean, I just don't want to put it out there in a way that's going to distract me from that process of being alone in the woods, you know? Sure. And also it's not even about protecting yourself. It's about learning what the thing actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without that's anyone cool. else deciding for you, like, oh, this is what I like. Well, who gives a shit? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. definitely a part of it. You know, one of the things I admire about your work, I was looking at last night and I was thinking a lot about my buddy, Doug Adesco. And the two yeah. of you have a really wonderful sense of scale and context in a way that I've always really admired. You know, I was thinking about, you know, your county fair project and there's the girl on the you throw the balls at the thing and they splash in the water. Yeah. yeah. And a picture like that is so rooted in a place. And obviously, you know, that project is about this fair, but we all make choices about how much we're going to include. And increasingly we have this feeling that we need to get closer and closer, closer, closer. And so those are able to pull back in an elegant way is really powerful. Yeah. That, that, I would say that is the camera. That is the influence of the camera. You know, it's because actually there was a point, you know, I did go from a Leica to large format, but actually I, it was, there was a four by five in there. Uh-huh. And so like I, I, I used a press camera, like a, like Ouija. Oh, yeah, like a speaker, I had, I had a crown graphic. Yeah. Yeah. I had a crown graphic and I, and I, and I even like, I was, I tried to be Ouija for a year. Yeah. The, so the, I, the I just hat and the whole thing. Straight up. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Because if because no, no, I never a, had a any style, I had never. Ouija. I don't know if Ouija had any style. I don't think he did. But but I think. Um, but actually, his suits were tailored. Actually, but, <laughs> but like three sizes too big, so he could put all his holders in the pockets. But as soon as I started photographing with a large format, I did back off because I was able to get the detail. So that is kind of an influence, you know. Because I'm talking to the people, I'm kind of playing a little trick, you know. Like I'm I'm pulling I'm pulling back. Because I, I want you to forget about me. And I'm not, it's not a trick like I'm trying to pull one over on anybody because I'll tell anybody and everybody that I talk to everybody. You know what I mean? I want, but I want you to, as you look at the pictures, even though you know that information, that like people will look at my work and go, well, Greg Miller talks to everybody. You know, I, but I'm like, well, keep looking. You know, like, you know, you, I, I want you to forget. You know, like I want the pictures to be good enough that you forget. Well, that means because even I forget, <laughs> I mean, when I'm looking at my pictures, I actually kind of begin to forget that I like what I said and all the things that happened because also people don't listen to me and they don't, you know, they didn't always do what I said. Right. And, and usually the best pictures are these days serendipitous events when things went wrong, but right. 
You know, there was this guy who paid me this, what I took as like a really high compliment. And he told me, he said, well, do you, like, he was one of the many people who say, well, do you set up all your pictures? You know? And I, I said, well, um, not really, but you know, I talked to everybody, but everything, I mean, those people were wearing those clothes. They were there in that place. I mean, there's so much that I have to kind of just take for granted. And so I don't think of it as setting up, you know, but, but sure, for sure. I mean, I'm like, I'm influencing it. You know, this isn't journalism. This is, you know, this is me, you know, it's just a kind of a collaboration. And so anyway, so the guy said, he said, you know, it reminds me of, he said, I went to see Penn and Teller on Broadway, mm. you know, like, you know, the magicians. Yeah when they do a trick, like they do this trick in their act where they come out and they tell you exactly right. how they're going to do it. I don't know what it is, but, and they, they're like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And this is how the trick goes. And then they do it for you. And you're like, Whoa, and you know, everybody rapid. gasps. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, you know, that's it. Like it's a, it's suspension of disbelief. Like I want you to forget. I want, like I'm, I'm playing tricks for you for sure, but I want you to kind of forget. And I want you to kind of feel like, I mean, on one hand, I'm, I'm collaborating with the person I'm photographing, but I'm actually also collaborating with the people that look at my work, you know, and I need both, you know, I can't do it if the people that look at my pictures only see set up pictures. And I know there's tons of people that are like, oh, Greg Miller, his work is all set up and they just completely discard it, which is fine. I feel like I know there's enough people that can look at my work and see it for the moment that it was not the moment it was to begin with. Some other moment, but the moment, the moment when I click the shutter, I mean, look, if that's good, that's it for me, you know? Well, I think some of this is people have their own rules for shit. And I, I, I mean, I don't find any value in terms of signing some sort of like filter on stuff. Oh, this person did this, though so it doesn't count or that's dumb. Because where do you stop then? Because there's a million other things you can say is not allowed. Plus, I mean, I went to journalism school. Objectivity yeah. is impossible to begin with. As soon as you're in the room, it's over. It's like there is no, right. uh, you know, completely objective observer. That's not how it works. Especially as a portrait photographer, you're way, 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 way past any sort of completely untouched version of the world. If you're in the world with the subject, you're a part of it. So I have no interest in trying to paint very finely the edges between this and that. What I see that is really the true magic trick of what you do is that you direct people in a very sophisticated way, but then you're able to stay there with them and let them sort of almost return back to them to some degree. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, something else. Knowing, I mean, it's well, not knowing what sometimes it's the thing they were doing, but yeah. yeah, but yeah. Knowing what you're working with, that's totally, it's, a, I mean, it changes everything about the stakes about what's happening. You're there with this really big camera and people have a certain feeling towards it. And then, you know, at least the way I see it, you're then able to capture this extremely sometimes quiet, simple moment with people, you know, looking, someone person might be looking at you and others are looking away. You're, you've, there's a lot of grace and sort of just quite the wrong word. There's just something it's okay. Sitting, no, I get it. happening there. That is really hard to be the thing that is chosen when their choices are much more limited. If you're using a camera that has, you know, a digital SD card that you can take a billion pictures and there's really no consequences there. You might have and I, five sheets. 
But I think that that is part of the problem because they're both cameras, you know, and if you were to put a DSLR on a tripod and, and just not take a million. No, 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 totally. And like, no, 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 I don't give a shit. And I think that, that like, I, I know that you have a set number of shots you could have made. Therefore your intention is so much stronger in terms of what you wanted to find and accomplish after you came upon a scene and then worked collaboratively with certain people to hopefully try to get back to, you know, what's maybe 60% of what you first found in the first place. I, what yeah, I think no, is so and, elegant and about you, what yeah. you're doing is that you have the confidence to let it be, let life just, just be this without it being heightened in some way, you know? Yeah. Especially because. Yeah. No, thank you. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, I, I, yeah, no, I know. I think what I want, like, so I think that quiet thing for whatever, you know, whatever word we want to use, but I, I think I really like, have you ever been in a place and you see something and your, and your eyes fix on it for a second and you're like, you know, that's really beautiful. Like you just want to look at it and we are starers, you know, we're photographers or, you know, we just want to look at things and, and I think that that I, I'm only interested in that. Like, I, I really want to see the people that way. And I and I guess out of a need, like really like out of a need for survival, you know, I as an artist, because I don't want to be anything else. I've developed a way of being able to look at this, you know, like look at this at people this way. But when you look at that moment, me and you and anybody that sees a picture and that's kind of the trick part can look at it as if. They were really there. Right. And that to me, you know, it's that thing you get. It's that feeling you get when you go out and you photograph and you're like, oh, you know, and even if your pictures suck, like, you know, like you get home, I mean, most pictures suck. And, but like, I'm like, oh my God, thank God I did that today. You know, yeah. like I'm just so happy. And Well, you know, some of the term, you know, the setting up stuff is something you're carrying. Cause I mean, I think there might be, I don't, I don't know anyone who feels that way. But, I mean, I don't think it even matters. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably belabor that. Everything but is so fucking I, yeah. contrived. I mean, I show up to a place at a certain time, oh, right. and someone's yeah. in a tiny little room, and we're doing a thing, and I have five in, like, what the fuck? There's no, I didn't get to make any choices here, and they didn't either. And so we're, I mean, there's, we're not, I'm not finding life as it's happening in real time. That's not, <laughs> I've set up four lights. I know, who, here. who sees that? Like, what the fuck? Right, it's like a bunny. Like it's like a bunny near a bush. You're like, look. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not what like, this is. Yeah. Like the guy was wearing a pink <laughs> shirt and the art director said, fuck it. I don't like that. And we changed like, like none of this stuff is exactly what we found. That's not important, especially, you know, especially I think right now it's this conversation is even more important that we're really like we're already in the era of not just making everyone's voice sound exactly the way we want to and be able to fake, you know, the president's voice. We're now doing high def video, which is completely 100% impossible to tell from, you know, you know, it's been completely fake. No one involved had anything to do with it and you can't tell it's fake. We're, we're already, we're yeah. already there. Yeah. yeah. And so intention and sort of like some of these rules about whatever is happening, whatever, I don't think it matters because your work is clearly trying to communicate a certain kind of vision about the world and people. And it does and nothing else really fucking matters. So you know, yeah, I, yeah, that's that. It, it is what it is. No, no, no. And I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I belabor it, you know, like, but I, um, but I mean, I actually, but I would say that it, it actually is important for the, all the reasons you just said, like, you know, the reason I think it might matter is because things are so fake and people are sick of fake, you know, yeah. but I'm, but my pictures, I don't like fake either. And so I don't want to make fake pictures. Like I don't, my pictures are not fake to me. 
and I'm not. And so that I think is kind of my point. And uh, so I don't like, I'm not like, you know, oh, I'm not setting them up. You know what I mean? I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, but what matters is that they're not fake to me. And, and like, and actually an excellent, as we we're talking about this, I'm realizing that an excellent example of this is the, the my morning bus series mm-hmm. where I have kids waiting for the f- morning bus, the school bus to take them to school. And, and this started after the Sandy Hook shooting. I, you know, we now live in Connecticut. I mean, we used to live in Brooklyn and we moved up to Connecticut. My wife teaches at University of Connecticut. And so we moved up here and I was still a little bit like, I don't know, we'd lived here for a few years, but not so many years that I felt like I was like completely at home in Connecticut. I have no problems with Connecticut. It's growing on me, but I certainly didn't think of the 50 states in the union that I would end up necessarily in Connecticut. Right. But, but actually it's pretty great. I mean, you know, like anyway, so it is a lot of bellies anyway, and craft soda, you know. Uh, yeah. So when we got that text message that everybody on the planet got that there was a shooting at Sandy Hook, you know, as I read it, I was like, oh, shooting. And I was like, oh, whoa, at, uh, elementary school. At, whoa, in Connecticut. Like, you know, just as I read, I was, you right. know, because and we at the time we lived in that we were renting that house near the drive in, but it was across the street. And there was a drive in behind and behind our house. And in front of our house was the elementary school where my daughter was going to school and she was six, which is the age that many of the the right. victims were. And so anyway, it just, you know, it landed kind of close insane. to home for us. And, and I think, I mean, and, and, but I think you could have been in Russia and it would have hit home. I don't think it matters like geography, no. ge- geographically where we are, but I think that, you know, and all of them, and I mean, and we've had um, too many cents and, you know, schools and movie theaters and churches and everything. And it's a nightmare. A magazine knew that I lived in Connecticut at the time. And they said, look, Greg, you know, I don't know, like, see what you can do, like go down there. And, and so I went down there. And so I was there, it was the next day and I was there at, in Newtown and every news organization around the world had sent media there. Sure. I mean, there were trucks and stuff. If you were a resident of Newtown and you decided to mail a letter, you know, you would have 10 members of the media on you or whatever. It was, I just thought, oh my God, this is not a picture at all. I mean, not a picture of this or for sure. I thought the best thing would be for me to leave this town, <laughs> you know, as a member of the media. So I went back home and, but like, it really stuck with me. Like I really, I mean, I was, you know, every day I'm saying goodbye to my daughter as she gets on the bus and, and the driveway. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, this could be goodbye forever. Just in a way that I don't think we'd ever thought of it that way. I don't think, I mean, when I was a kid, I don't think, I mean, it's kind of unacceptable that I might be like, good luck at school. You know, I mean, we are, it's supposed to be a safe place. And I was angry really. And still am. And I, and I, but then, but what happened after Sandy Hook was there was this whole thing. Like I thought that there was just going to be this turning point, like, oh, forget it. I mean, now it's going to be, we're going to put laws in place that are going to, this is never going to happen again. But that didn't happen at all. I mean, there was this pushback in this way that was like, I was like, what? I I wanted to make a picture, honestly. You know, when I was there in Newtown, I was like, you know, what is the picture of this? You know, I came back and I I was like, you know, it's kind of amazing (laughs) the way children look when they're waiting for the bus. I mean, it's it's so, they look really vulnerable to me now, you know, Mm. like it shifted for me. I mean, I was, I, I mean, I was saying, I, mean, I felt like my daughter was, I was waiting with my daughter. I felt like she was vulnerable. And then I would drive and I would, you know, if I was leaving early in the morning to go to the airport, I would like drive down a road and there would be like 
child after child after child, like waiting kind of alone if they're like middle school kids or whatever. And, and there's like this, the lights of the traffic on them. And I was like, man, it's like there. And then if you go back down that road, let's say you go to the grocery store and you come back, something like this, you, they're gone. Right. And there's this, there's a sense there's almost like creatures from Narnia. No, it is spooky. You know? And also, I mean, you yeah. really sense the way in which you were still trying to visually see your, the new world and the curviness of those roads and the early morning fog. And there was, a, you know, it's, I, I really understand the way in which that started formulating in your head. Because when I read that yeah. line about kids lit by headlights, I can immediately, yeah. I was like, oh, I, I see it. I also see the complications of getting that picture in a certain way, too. So I, I, I think it's an interesting way to reference and frame that. Yeah, because it's, it's sort of, we don't like lighting kids with headlights. <laughs> You know, it's, you know, that's like, you know, like it's, you know, cause there actually is that picture of the child being separated. I mean, I don't know if they were actually, I think they were reunited with their child. There was, it was like a time cover. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like, it's lit by headlights, you know, and, uh, or, and it has this keek like kind of, um, nature to it. Yeah. It's, anyway, really, it's a cold, yeah. yeah hard. Light, just, yeah. So all of that, like, you know, so I, I had the idea. So I started, I photographed my own daughter in our driveway and then, and then I asked all of our friends, I, I was like, look, I have this idea. And I, and, I, and then I would, I would show up before the bus comes before like an hour before and just give myself time. And, um, and then, and of course the kids are like, you know, I mean, I don't know um, about your kids, but I, you know, kids like walk out, like they time, like walking out of the door with the door of the school bus opening. You know what I mean? Like there's no time as because I realized I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to forever kids waiting for the bus. Like they don't wait for the bus really. I mean, some of them do. I mean, but, but often what I realized is I was like, look, give me, you know, you have to give me like 20 minutes. Okay. You know, like, so, so really I'm like making appointments, <laughs> you know, with kids. So it was first, we started with my friends, kids, and then it was friends of friends, kids. And now like it's sort of developed, you know, like people kind of know about it. Uh, but still, I, I have to kind of like talk to people and, and people say no, just like I was photographing on the street. Like, you know, I, I approach like I'll be out uh, like it's pick up time or something at school, let's say, or there'll be some event and, and I'll say, oh, by the way, I'm doing this project. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about that or whatever. Or they don't know about it. And they'll and I'll say, you know, is this something you'd be interested in? And there's people that say no, you know, because they're not. Like, you know, everybody has their own level of comfort with being photographed or the kids being photographed. Sure. And I totally understand. And no, I mean, I, mean, I was, so, I was an intern at the Hartford Current many years oh, ago, right on. 20, oh, okay. 20 years ago. And yeah. I was photographing with permission, having asked every parent at the playground to photograph for some feature we were doing on some, you know, little local feature thing. And even with having asked everyone there, someone passing by in a car this is 20 years ago call the cops and they showed yes up yes and yes like, well, what are you doing photographing kids and i'm like i i work for the current i have my id on i've already asked every single <laughs> yeah. person here if they're okay they all said yes yes, yes like, true. what else can i it's do true. Here? people want to take care yeah they they and then we're, i mean they're and do, now they're do-gooders and now we're 20 you know? years yeah. from there you know so th there is a sense that there's an unease that there's like a you know a middle-aged white guy like scoping out bus stops, you know, with a large format totally. camera. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and also these pictures ran on this series was featured on NPR and they did a little interview with me and then, but then they posted the pictures on Instagram and, you know, and in the story, in the interview, I talk all about like getting permission from the parents, exactly what you're talking oh, sure. about. 
Anyway, and I do safeguards to, you know, like it's just the first name and, you know. Sure. I, even when we ran them on NPR, because I mean, that goes out to like 9 million people or whatever it is, we took all the names off. So we did, we even went further, but then they ran on, on Instagram where there's all these comments and there was like thousands and thousands of comments, but most of them, and this is like, you know, this wreaks havoc on your imposter syndrome, but most of them were positive. Thank God. But then there were actually a few, of course, that were like, who is this guy? Like, why is he doing this? And you know, these, you know, somebody, you know, like exactly what you're talking about. But then I, I started thinking that, you know, this is actually what I'm doing. The whole idea behind this project was to present children in a way that you see their vulnerability. And actually, I would say better than see, you feel their exactly. vulnerability. Yeah. In that way, like I'm using my, my abilities as a photographer to kind of, I mean, and it's true, I am pulling people's heart, heartstrings, but. I'm doing it in a kind of, I hope, a sophisticated way where, like, I mean, their parents, the parents are often, I mean, sometimes they're in the house, but most of the time the parents are just off camera, you know? So this is really, this is, these are pictures that are, I'm, I'm making them look vulnerable and because I want you to feel you, like, I want you to feel yourself. Right. Like, I want to elicit that concern, you know? So I mean, I, I mean I'm going to get the heat. Also. You know, sometimes. So it's okay. And and like, I understand there's room for misunderstanding here, but I, I think that's kind of what it's about. I wanted to do a project where I didn't reference guns at all. Mm -hmm. well, I have a lot of problems with guns, but I don't have problems with people that have like, you know, they hunted with their grandfathers or, you know, like they, you know, whatever their identity is. This problem with our country right now has nothing to do with hunting. No, <laughs> you know, nothing this at all. is a problem of, this is a, a big problem. And this is uh, not a problem where it's like, hey, well, you know, I, I like to hunt. Like, no, that's, you know, you're not what we're talking about. And also, by the way, people look at these pictures and they're like, oh, I waited for the bus when I was a kid. I remember that. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. yeah, yeah. And it's exactly what it's about. Yeah. It's totally about it waiting for like the bus. It looks like Hansel and Gretel to me more than sweetness. <laughs> well, yeah, no, exactly. Well, right. I know. Right? Hansel and Gretel is the most effed up. Yeah, God. Um, God it's a fucked up story. Rhyme. It is they absolutely. It's a brand new movie. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. Out of that, right. And actually that, and that is probably the most accurate yeah. film about that nursery rhyme. I mean, it's about eating kids. Anyway. I happened to be talking on a day in which the Dow is down a thousand points based on the coronavirus yeah. fears. And yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's important to note that this is a, has massively impacted the world economy and has made a lot of people sick. But in terms of a global scale of what's going on, at least in this country, we have, I don't, I don't even think we have 50 confirmed cases in this country and we will make legislation. I bet in the next week, in our insanely divided house and Senate addressing this in some way, because it is so easily targeted as a fear of others kind of situation. Like, Oh, we got to protect ourselves. Right. 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 right and right. yet, no, exactly. Exactly. We kill each other with fucking guns on the daily and it's impossible yeah. to legislate. You know, is it, uh, yeah. like, you know, uh, that's something to do with politics. I can't as a father, as a citizen, I can't weigh those two up together. You know, it doesn't, yeah. nothing makes sense with this kind of stuff. Like it's, yeah, it's this national obsession. Yeah. I wanted to ask you though, I read something that struck my eye and I don't even know if it's true, but you had a long time rep. Julian Richards was your rep. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
And I read that he only had a single portfolio of yours or a single version of your portfolio. And it was only personal work. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's uh, no, we, I mean, we back then, you know, I mean, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm a hundred years old. I mean, I am a hundred years old, but I, I feel like, um, but that, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're you know, so Julian, Julian, by the way, when we were, <laughs> so this is um, in the early 2000s, you know, it seemed like everybody was a photographer. I mean, it was hard to find an assistant because everybody was a photographer. And um, I mean, it was so easy to, to make money these days. That's a, that's a yeah, positive spin on the photo sad. industry. Man, I, I yeah, that that's one. right. So Julian, he was so sick of being uh, like, I mean, not even, I mean, I don't think he ever tried, <laughs> but I mean, he was just knew that he wasn't good at, at catering to people's like what they wanted. He was like, look, I mean, there's plenty of photographers and plenty of agencies that make work that is right down Broadway, commercial work. You know, what do you want us to do? You know, portraits that, you know, like that fit the template. And our niche was to, you know, make work that was like, it was commercial. I mean, we were totally prepared. I mean, all of us were commercial photographers. I mean, we all like showed up with lights and did everything, but we were like, you know, racking our brains to make work that was our own. And we still had to, I mean, even still, like, you know, even with a portfolio that was my own personal work and all this stuff, you know, we still had to like, you know, in the first, whatever few minutes of the shoot, I have to do the, our job, you know, we had to do like whatever they wanted. And then, and then we would try to do whatever, but we also pitched ideas all the time. And we were always, um, people were all like notorious for calling up Julian and saying, look, I have this thing. I don't know if it's right for anybody there, but it, they would call Julian because he was a good idea person. Like he was always like, he was really fun. The idea person that that's, you know, what I, hear. yeah, I mean, he was so good. And it was like, it was, you know, talking, he was like, well, you know, what if they were like having a cup of tea, you know, isolation to his, <laughs> you know, what if they were like completely nude, having a cup of tea on a rock, yeah. you know, or whatever. I mean, it's terrible. That was a terrible idea, but, um, and he doesn't sound anything like that, but, um, but at any rate, I mean, we would, he would just come up with shit and then we were like, Oh, I was like, I don't know if they're going to go for that and say they would go for something else, you know? And then, you know, you had to kind of think on your, on your feet. And so it, it kind of led to this, you know, way of working where I know I would go into a photo shoot and actually it sounds like you have the same talent, which is that like, you know, you don't know really what you're doing, <laughs> you know, going and walking into it. You have like maybe a couple of things that you're like going to try, but like, you really don't know at the end of the day. Sure. I mean, there's, there's the things that <laughs> you, you know? got to get. And then there's, yeah. but then there's like, well, where is the thing though? Where, what am I going to yeah, learn today? I mean, who, who am I going to meet? And where are we going to find that thing around the corner? That's going to pique our interest and elevate this to uh, something special. And that's always, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been why I've done it. Other than, you know, I love meeting people and I love being out in the world, but finding yeah. that thing that no one could have pre-planned on is the cool thing for me. Well, I think that, you know, it's funny is that, you know, because often um, a popular line with editors, well, they'll say to you, you know, do your thing, oh, yeah. you know, like do, do what you do, you know? And um, I'm like, uh, I get what they're saying. I mean, on you know, for sure, like on the face of that, but. But when I have a story about my county fair project, the, you know, the county fair project started as a photo essay for Life Magazine. Like when Life Magazine was that like kind of newspaper-y, yeah. it was like parade, it, like it showed up and, and I would, I would travel around and I happened upon a county fair and this is like in February in Palm Springs, California. And, and I was like, whoa, this is that, amazing. And you I, think about when I, you think of county fairs, Palm Springs. <laughs> No, but right. And because in Indio and it, but it's really kind of downscale. Cool. Like it's not, it's in Palm Springs for sure. But like 
or near there. I mean, it's in Indio. So, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's the county fair, like any other, you know right. what I mean? There you have carnies and you have, and, uh, but anyway, I was, I was out there and I'd flown from New York and I, so I pitched this idea to Curry Pullen, who was the photo editor there at the time. And, she, and the, the picture editor was the great George Pitts and George, you know, they went for it. They were like, okay, yeah, go for it. And, uh, and so I would try, and I was traveling a lot more. I mean, everybody traveled a lot more then. So wherever I was, I would find a county fair in the summer, whatever, and I would take pictures. And so I built up a little portfolio, but I didn't really, they didn't expect me to show anything to them. And I made all this work. And I like, when I was photographing, like, I really was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I had gotten a photo essay from Life Magazine. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, man, I'm going to get creative on my creative. I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to be I'm going to like, I want this to be really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. And I forgot completely about making pictures that might be publishable <laughs> or anything. You know, I mean, I just, I really forgot about it. Like, and it's funny because I just, I don't know. Like I, it was one of the few times in my life that I ever have in a way, you know, as a, like when I'm working for a magazine, you know, like you have to kind of have some brain like in really, that area. Really tight detail corn dog shot here. <laughs> yeah. So I, so in the, in whatever it was like in August, they said, Hey, look, you know, why don't you, I think we're ready to run that County fair photo essay, you know, let's see what you got have. And I, and so I printed everything up. I wasn't in the room, but they evidently, as the story goes, I spread out my pictures, my prints all over the, those big giant tables there at life. And the managing editor was like, what the hell is this? Like, what? you know, everybody's depressed. Like, you know, they're like, these are people behind the rides. Like, you know, I mean, he's like, where's the kids like with cotton candy and where's the, you know, happy people or whatever. And they were like, oh, and so the story got killed, Yeah, you know, like, so yeah. I, I shot toward, towards it the whole time. And I, you know, I'm sure like for a day I was disappointed, you know, like whatever, but I actually came away from that going, but you know, and this is like part of the Julian Richards thing is like, I had made the pictures I wanted to make. I had been true to this thing, like who I am. And, and I like this fine art photographer. I mean, in the truest sense of the word, like me had arrived and I didn't even know it, you know? And so like when, so I actually wasn't disappointed for very long and I, it really surprised me. I was kind of well, like, Oh, well, actually there for sure. But you, the body of work <laughs> was meaningful to you. So there was something there. Yeah. But in a way that had, that was kind of the first time that had happened, you know, like I, it's like by accident, I had forgotten about the magazine and, and I think just because it was so long and, but at any rate, um, but since then, that's kind of how I work, you know, like that, you know, that was like the pivotal moment, like when I, I had kind of reached, you know, I don't know, like just commercial work nirvana or something, you know, where I'm just like, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I obviously can make work that people want, but I know that I can also completely forget. About well, it speaks to the breadth work. of your personal work that there's enough there to carry a portfolio to be used to show to all clients, to ad agencies and to magazines. And everyone's constantly trying to juggle the ideas of what they are without ever mm -hmm. thinking, what do I actually want to say? What do I have to say to the world? What, what is the thing I do? And, you know, this is something I, I get asked a lot when I do lectures to you know, college students studying photography. They're like, well, how yeah. do I know what to show to whomever? And it's like, well, I can't even answer the question until I understand like what it is you're trying to tell the world because 
Yeah. You know, there's a big why question there. Well, you know, because yeah. people early on in their careers want to feel useful to the most number of people. And there's nothing wrong with that to get your foot in the door and start working the same way that you're, you know, you were hustling, doing art school and also doing village voice stuff and everything. You're like, you know, you were doing, we're all trying to do a million things and seeing what sticks for us personally and what sticks for us commercially and everything else. But at the same time, if you're not in charge of the ship of pushing forward, like what is your personal vision, then, you know, someone else will be. And it probably won't be the thing that actually fills you with joy. And it, it says it doesn't need a Marie Kondo you know, exercise either. But, you know, I think it's brilliant that Julian saw in your work the opportunity to present something that was really largely something driven by the way you frame the world. And the fact that then it was also successful is just fucking awesome. I mean, yeah. I haven't heard a story no, I mean, like really that successful. very many times. That's a, it's an unusual opportunity. I mean, you know, I well, mean, and... So it has to do with the work and it has to do, if you look at all the, you know, like the photographers, you know, if I was going to like, you know, there's Michael McLaughlin who was also in that roster and then there was David Barry was a first and then there was Chris Buck was in there. And, and if you look at those photographers that were successful doing that, it's their work was not that far off from work that was publishable commercial, you know what I mean? In the direction that was, you know, work that was actually happening at that moment, you know? But I mean, I would say that now, I mean, Julian got out of it, uh, you know, not so long ago. And so I feel like, you know, I don't, I mean, it's, it's harder to do what we were doing then. I mean, for I, sure. I mean, so, Julian. so I, I always do it with a, a grain of salt. Like when I'm talking to young people, like I definitely think like that advice to, you know, like, what do you want to say is better than what does your client want to see? Right. And and that, like, to me, is a very important thing for young photographers to understand. And but it is a drag, you know, because you're like, oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, fuck, I got to go back to the drawing board. You know, that's going to take time, you know, like, I, it, but like, you know, that but it's it's I mean, there is no there's nothing without it. You're going to I mean, it's a nightmare, I think, to make work, to be a jack of all trades forever and to be this person who is always doing somebody's bidding. You just. If you're a professional photographer, if you were able to pull this off, you're technically proficient, you know, your sensibility is okay. And you don't mind not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from. If all of that is true, you have this amazing opportunity to live the best life anybody's living right now. I mean, you, I mean, for sure, you're going to be living a life of $10 bottles of wine, probably, but you also have like the life of a photographer, a freelance photographer, self-employed, whatever you have immense freedom and you know, you're, li you're, and, and it doesn't mean, and actually I, I think a lot of people make a lot of money doing this. I mean, but I think that if you, if people, I think people make a mistake of looking at this, like we have to do everybody's bidding and, and, and that, that's a, like, it's almost like this, it's a conundrum because you're like, wait, you tell me if I, show people what I want to take pictures of, which I mean, by definition, you're going to lose people. I mean, you're going to lose a whole lot sure. of people, but you gain this other set of people, which for sure is going to be a smaller group of people, but those are your people. And actually I, I know that you, uh, you just um, interviewed Andrew Hetherington, right? And so Andrew gave me this amazing advice when we were, I started my blog, right? And so he had like the epic fucking blog, like, the, the blog, the photography blogs to end all photography blogs, you know, he was so good. Yeah. 
And he, I mean, he's such a good self-promoter, you know, like so good at that. But I mean, really, but there, it's not that it's not like, he was just so good at like communicating, you know? Anyway, but when I started, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this blog and I felt like, I mean, it's going to suck, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I, I'm going to do it anyway, because it looks like everybody has to have a blog at that time. You know, he said, look, here's the thing. Whoever follows you, those are your people. He said, forget about the people that you want to follow you because those are not your people. And, and that's so, that's such a good advice because it's true on every level that whenever you are doing something, you, there's so, I could name off a set of people right now. I mean, I would never, ever do this, but a set of people is about a dozen people that I wish liked my work. I wish they liked my work, but they don't, they don't give me the time of day. Yeah. Everybody has this set of people. Yeah. And, sure. but what's crazy is, and this is where, uh, you know, our imposter syndrome comes in. There's another set of people that really do truly care about you as an artist. They care about your pictures, your pictures speak to them. And if you are not quite, you know, aligned with it, you can see those people as lesser than that dozen people that would be, you know, like you're the shit, you know? Right. And so like, if you can figure out how to embrace those people that love your work, you actually will live a happy life. This is something I talk to my kids about all the time. That, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same. Yeah. Same is true for your friends. Yeah. Like the whole Enough thing. is the same as plenty, you know, it, love. Yeah. I mean, it's really the truth of love, you know, because we, you know, when I was dating, you know, like I remember, I remember, you know, at the time I met my wife, I, there was a whole string of women that I had dated that like were not good for me. <laughs> and I realized that I was chasing after these people that did not care. I mean, it wasn't that they didn't care maybe, but it was just, they, they weren't me, right. you know, they weren't for me. And so like, whatever, anyway, it was just funny because and when I met my wife, it felt different. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, whoa, wait. I was like, there wasn't this chase. There wasn't this, you know, she wasn't this person that I had like this game was going on with um but it was like but it was i was still i was like i can't stop thinking about her like what's up with that right <laughs> but this is yeah so human and this is what we do and well i think that we also need to point out that not only is being the jack of all trades hard i think now in the current photography industry it's completely untenable you you can't it's just it's just not going to work at least in the long term yeah so, no. i mean we really want people to be themselves now like we really really want you to be you you know, like, like even like, where are you on the spectrum of you? You know what I mean? Like, we're not, no, you know, it's not enough just to be like, yeah, you know, I'm a man, you know, like, no, I'm a sensitive man. Like I'm, you know, I'm somewhere, you know, I have to kind of identify somewhere on what scale of man am I? You yeah. Know? So this is perfect. Yeah. You, you set me right up perfectly for my favorite body of your work, which is Nashville. Oh yeah. Right. What you did after you received the Guggenheim Fellowship. And it was a personal journey home or, you know, to a version of home that your family had largely at that point left. The thing about that body of work is that it's kind of a photographer's photography kind of thing, wherein I can see the moving pieces of it and see the ways in which it makes me feel things and the way in which it fits together. And I just know that it, was hard to put together. It feels, mm. it feels like there's a lot of grinding and there's a lot of figuring it out and there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of searching. And somehow over time you 
gave yourself the permission and the space to make this document to this memory, really more than a place. It's, I, it's, it's incredible. There's the pictures in that story are really beautiful and so open to mm. being interpreted a million different ways by different people bringing their own things to it. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's, um, that was a perfect, or I don't know, you know, just a great, um, intro to that work. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you receive it. Cause I, I, um, that one is probably the one, you know, the body of work where I really feel like it's possible. Nobody's going to care about this work. You know, I just wanted to make a work that was as personal as I possibly could. Cause I felt like I was authorized at that time because of the Guggenheim and and I think well, um, that's, a, that's a good reason to feel authorized. It's a big deal. With Guggenheim, that's yeah. massive. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. And it was, and it is, it's like a, like a nuclear bomb going off in your ego. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're just like this, you're just, you know, and you just, I mean, I, I wanted to make good work. I knew that like good work is not going to come from a tremendous ego. Like, you know, I wanted, I mean, Nashville was the, you know, I wanted to do something big, obviously. And I mean, and people do all sorts of things with their Guggenheims. I mean, they travel the world and, you know, and I considered doing lots of different things and they don't expect you to do what you say you're going to do, like what you propose to do. They actually are like, you know, look, like once you get it, you can do whatever. In my proposal, I talked a lot about like in my narrative bio and also in my proposal, I talked about my father was a musician and a band director. Mm my whole life growing up. I mean, he was, and so I grew up around marching bands and I really grew up around musicians and my mom's a musician as well. Cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I just think that that's, I mean, it really speaks to me and, and I, and also, you know, Nashville is the home of country sure. music and all that jazz. So my proposal was to photograph marching band camps of the South. Wow. That was my official proposal, which is pretty, not bad, not you bad. Know? but, but when I, Andy Hetherington just heard that and has written his own proposal just now. He loves, uh, <laughs> he loves shooting band camp pretty big. Yeah, no, exactly. You should take it. No, I, I told him about, you know, I, when he, I saw him doing that because that, that he riffed off of, you know, working with ESPN and, and doing, you know, and that, that I think was a job originally. Yeah. And like he kept doing it and, and, and that's brilliant. I mean, I love that. And, and so I was like, you know, I tipped my hat. So anyway, yeah. Then once I got the Guggenheim, I realized, you know, I didn't want to narrow myself down to just band camp, marching bands or, you know, that whole thing. And so I decided just to kind of throw a, a much broader net over, like just to say, you know, my, the whole town, the whole city of Nashville. And, and I also knew that I wanted, that I work that way. Like I, I like the street and I like the randomness of things where, that I felt like, you know, if I narrowed myself to just photographing band camps, it would like not enough fun stuff would happen. And so the other thing is that I thought, where, what's the scariest fucking thing I could possibly <laughs> photograph on earth, you know? And, uh, because I should definitely do that. Because art and, is and, art, uh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just not going to be good if otherwise, <laughs> you know, I mean, I also thought it's going to haunt me. Like if I don't do oh, this now, cause right. I had, I had already had the idea to photograph Nashville. Like, I mean, I probably a year out of, you know, like a year into school, I was like, you know, I could photograph in Nashville. You know what I mean? I would, yeah, this, but whenever I went there, like it was impossible. It was almost like, you know, like kryptonite or something. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like I was like, what? You know, I was like, what is this blocking my brain? You know, like whatever. It's just like you go home and, and, and you're screwed up, you know? And so anyway, I just thought if I'm going to do this, I should do it now. So anyway, so then I, so I went down to Nashville and I started driving around. And one of the first picture I took is this picture 
of a guy that's like has his head down on a railing. He's he has a cigarette. It's a cigarette break, obviously, and he's behind an unidentified box store. And I was like, okay, you know, like I think this is going to work out, you know, because yeah. I wasn't sure. Like if this idea of me going and photographing, you know, 2008 Nashville and just fill that in, that would be the equivalent of 2020 Nashville, like whatever modern day city, because it, it, I mean, now like you could look at those pictures and because of the passage of time, because it's like, you know, 12 years has passed since then, like you, you can look at those and they almost look like they're, they're you know, it looks like an older Nashville. Yeah, I mean, Nashville looks nothing like that. years, different time. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's sort of frozen in time in that way. But for me, it was it was a little bit of a turnoff because I was interested in the 1976 sure. Nashville. And so I really wanted to, I wanted to try to find the 1970s Nashville in the 2008s Nashville. But really, I mean, it's, that's a, even more technical than really the truth of it. I mean, I really wanted to find, you know, how I felt, you know, because I really didn't feel comfortable there. You know what I mean? I felt awkward or, you know, like just, you know, there was a lot of different emotions there. And, and I knew when I was making the work, it's not like I'm going to like spell out like my whole personal life in the essay or something. No, you know what I mean? I really want to make pictures that if you're from New Jersey, you're like, whoa, yeah, that's what it's like right. <laughs> to go home. Right. You know, if you're from San Diego, California, you're like, yeah, you know, that's, I get it. And, and actually, and also I got an email many years later from a woman who her name is uh, Ruth Ann Harnish now, but she was Ruth Ann Leach when I was growing up. And she was the newscaster on channel five when I was growing up that I like grew up watching her. Wow. She wrote to me out of the blue and said, I just want to tell you that your pictures really speak to me and the Nashville I knew at that time when she was like. In Channel Five, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That's I was like, amazing. "That's amazing!" I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, she had seen the work when it was it ran it was it showed up on a um a blog somewhere, and she found it anyway. So I was I just traveled around, and I'm making pictures, and really like you know just kind of making work that I felt like you know each time I was presented with something, I was like, "What is it?" You know, what is that emotion here? What is the emotion here? And and you know, like what is that feeling of like you know just this kind of a longing, you know, mm. but I, I, there was no way I couldn't even, I can't even tell you now, like really honestly what that is. I'm going to have to be a poet or I'd have to be like, I'm like, it's in the pictures, you know, like, or it's not like, I was like, look, you know, this may be a colossal failure and, you know, and I, you know, you know, it's okay. But I thought this is really what I wanted to try to do. I mean, it was actually, some things were really weird. I mean, I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> oh no, the one about you going really back spooky. to the apartment building that was Oh, where, yeah. Open. Where did you hear that? Oh yeah, we're, I, know, I read yeah. it on an old interview. I yeah, that, I've had that yeah. exact experience going back the oh, place, really? and it just for no reason being completely open, and so you get to go back in time, basically in a space. And that's in a crazy. crazy way. Yeah, then like there's always a moment where you either like it's almost like you get caught, and you don't even know where, where you know it's like waking up from a dream and you've been overtired and you've been like napping and you don't know whether it's morning or night. You're just like holy mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, no, that's, that was a, so there was this one, we, we moved like 17 times in the years that I was there. I mean, it was different reasons for moving. I think my mom kind of had wanderlust, but we always lived in apartments and we were always, um, I mean, sometimes we couldn't afford the rent. I mean, there was all sorts of reasons, but, and also my mom loved like redecorating. I think she actually, once we were done, (laughs) like we just put like the last picture on the wall. She was like, she was starting to apartment hunt again. That's interesting. And, or, or like it was so dirty, like. 
we it was like the house needed to be cleaned up. And she was like, you know what? Let's just fucking move. She was, <laughs> she was born 40 years too early. She would love Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. Anyway, so one of the places we moved, there was a whole lot of emotion, a whole lot of like um, not being comfortable there. I mean, it was where I lived when I was, I think, 11 years old. And it was a very difficult time. And that apartment, and I remember having a dream about that apartment, like having the door, that there was a door ajar. And I went in. And that dream occurred way before this, like when I was younger, like, I mean, when I was working on this project, I would, I went back to all those places. Like I kind of had pins in the map, like where, um, where we lived and I would kind of gravitate towards those places. I would, you know, it was just starting points. You know, I knew anywhere I photographed could easily yield a photograph, but I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to start with these pictures I have emotional connection to. So I was driving by that particular apartment one day and I noticed the windows were open and the apartment was empty because it was being painted. Mm. And I was like, Whoa, I was like, man. And so I went in there and, and I, like I knocked and there was these guys, these painters and, and they were like, what, you know, I was like, look, I just, I grew up here. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was like, I, I like, this is where I lived when I was a kid. And I was like, look, I just, if you don't mind, I'm just going to walk around. And they were like, what? Okay, fine, whatever. And they just went back to painting. So I'm in there with these guys that are kind of painting and they're in another room, but I like, I go in and I'm like standing in my parents' room and I'm staring in my room. And I was like, I mean, what are the fucking chances of that happening while I'm doing this Guggenheim pursuing this project? You know, I just thought that's crazy. Yeah. And I've, this was even crazier. I'm sure to the painters that I went and I got my camera and I set up, I made a picture of, my parents' closet, and and I made a picture. Uh, I don't know. I made some pictures around there. I mean, that's a picture. That would be a book picture, not like a website picture, you know, because I don't, you know, it doesn't, I mean, there's just too much backstory for needed for that picture. But I just think that, uh, so there was lots of things like that. There was this couple, the one, there's a couple fishing in the water. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a park that we used to go and play in my parents would go, they would go on their own and then they brought us and I happened upon this young couple and they're out there fishing. And, the, and I, I said, Oh, you know, like, that's amazing. You're fishing, <laughs> you know? And, um, and they said, yeah, you know, we're just, you know, we, we, we left the kid with our, uh, with the grandmother and we just came out here fishing. And there was just something about this, you know, like I, I love heart of darkness where you're just, you know, like you go down the river right. and the further down the river, the further down the river you go, the worse it gets, you know, that for me, this was my journey to kind of go after, to follow that, those ghosts, mm-hmm. you know, down the river. And, and so like for me to find a couple in a river fishing and they're, this is their activity. I mean, maybe they had sex right before they went fishing. I don't know, but whatever, who cares? <laughs> but the thing is that, you know, they're out there fishing and I thought that was so beautiful that they're out there fishing and, and, and just the river, forget it. I mean, it's just so beautiful. And there was those kind of moments and there was like many, many, and I realized I was in the right place, you know? And so in that way, your pictures, like my pictures kind of spoke to me, you know, like they're kind of talking back, like there, it's, it's okay. Like, you know, because I was there alone, you know, my, my wife had taken Joya, my oldest, we only had one daughter at the time took her to her brothers in California and spent the summer um, out there and they were having a great time. And, and so I was like, you know, I went into the desert kind of, you know, right. and, and also, I mean, I was really lonely. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I actually, I mean, right now I have 
I have two daughters and I hardly get a, a second alone, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, um, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm never alone. Yeah, exactly. And so, but this is my time to not be alone. Like on one hand, I like, I crave alone time right now, but I also like after 24 hours, I'm actually lonely. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the way you approach Nashville as a story and the, and the personal history of it and the way you reach back in time and pull it forward you know, just even the envisioning of the map and finding places of significance. To some degree, the photography as a choice for the creative medium of this project is almost arbitrary. You know, you're a photographer yeah. and you use photographs to tell the story, but the way you went about telling the story is almost like how a director thinks about the movie he's making. Yeah. More so than most the the way people do this work. Have you you know, have you come to terms or battled with what is the medium for this idea? You know, since your parents were in music and they probably told stories musically, how has photography had the carrying power that's had? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it may have to do with the growing up with music, you know, because I think of my pictures as songs, you know, like they're like, I'm a songwriter kind of, you know, like I'm really, you know, just like, I want, I mean, on one hand, I want a body of work to operate like it was on an album or something, mm -hmm. but then I, I want each song to have its own, to live on its own. And I think that's true. I mean, I've often thought like how incredibly similar it is because you have certain songs that are popular and you have certain songs that nobody gives a shit about. Right. And you have songs that you love that nobody is interested in. And you have songs that people are like, can you play that one again? Come on. And, um, and I always think about this, that musicians, like I always think like, you know, Bob Dylan or somebody like he, he wrote some song like 60 years ago or something that like about breaking up with some woman, he can't probably can't even remember. And he has to say, he has to sing that goddamn song, but you know, no, like I you mean, have to kind of, at, at some point the words aren't even words anymore, you know? Yeah. Like it has to kind of leave when, you know, my pictures kind of, once they're good, they aren't my pictures anymore. Mm. They all, they take on this life, you know, people might buy a print of it or they might want to publish it. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that's great. You know, and I'm, I'm just, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for the picture. I'm, you know, and I, and I, in some ways I'm, I'm removed from it, you know, in that way. And, and so, but when I'm, when I'm making the pictures, they're, they're still mine. Mm -hmm. They're still like, it's a different relationship, you know? And, and I, I don't, and releasing them too is like, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm not real quite ready to throw one on Instagram or, and certainly with a project. Anyway, I, I mean, I just think of that. I, I think that's interesting how. Well, let's finish with your work on Ash Wednesday. We're heading towards Holy Week and you are yet again going to be out there photographing the marked and faithful in our communities. Or I think you said you might actually be even be in D.C. This year I'm going to be photographing. It's sort of a collaboration with NPR. It's, it's awesome. I love it. I love NPR. I love, you know, everything about it. And so um, the the one that I did before was uh, we photographed March for Our Lives mm -hmm. um, in whatever it was, 2018, I think. Was. Oh, yeah. And, you know what? Um, I think I remember I was out there shooting. I think I remember seeing you. Oh, yeah. Right. But out there. Yeah, it was and, um, so fucking yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. And, and I didn't even I actually because there's so many people there, I've stayed on only one side of it. I mean, there was so much. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, it was like, 10 I mean, I didn't cover that much days. ground, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I ended up getting somehow in the middle of a bunch of the alumni of Parkland somehow. Oh, wow. And I was only shooting wow. kids and oh, there great. was so many of them. I never moved. 
they all just yeah, oh yeah, right on. I mean, came to me. Were you on assignment or was no? It no, it was just for myself. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so they do this thing where they'll on the website. The pictures run on the website, but the the audio is embedded, mm. and so you click on the picture. That's cool. And your and the audio plays like they'll just edit it down to just a few seconds of of audio for the people. And uh, yeah, it's really great. Uh, I hope it works out. <laughs> you know, I hope I find one person, you know, like there's always that chance of, you know, like you don't find anybody. I mean, you know, like I've had Ash Wednesdays where I don't find anybody with ashes, you know? Oh, right. And, you know, I mean, you can go to a mass, uh, like wait outside or something, which I feel like that's well, cheating. Well, DC is tricky for it because there are billions of churches, but there are not very many Catholic churches that I can think of immediately. Well, we have a, yeah, I mean, I have that part I have, but the, but people get in their cars and drive sure. away. I mean, there's not a lot of street. It's not, it's a little bit like LA in that way of, it's not like New York city. I mean, downtown there's some tree, uh, foot traffic, but you know, you, you really get a little time between seeing people and that's harrowing for, you know, when you're on the street trying to take pictures for, you know, so anyway, but I, I'm sure it'll be fine, but I, um, uh, but I love it. I love the audio. I love audio. I love the whole idea of this audio. I mean, I, you know, everybody has a podcast now. <laughs> Just like everybody had a blog. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for your podcast. It's gonna be so exciting. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, you shouldn't ask me for any opinions <laughs> on, on it. You should totally immediately go back to Andrew. Uh, I know, right? Well, yeah, no, Mister Self Promotion himself. Uh, you know, so the Ash Wednesday <laughs> project. I what I love about it is it is an incredibly simple concept, and. I also love that you now have it. You have a couple different things that are kind of an annual thing. You know, your election day will have a big, a big year. Mm-hmm. I'm getting NPR back in back involved for that one. And mm-hmm. when I saw the calendar this year, and I was booking some stuff later in the spring, I saw Ash Wednesday, and I immediately thought about you. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, so the 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 thing about so for anybody that might be listening to this that doesn't know about Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent in the liturgical calendar. So Catholics do it, but also Protestants do it. And what's interesting is that in Italy, for example, they have Ash Wednesday. It's part of the whole year, but they don't wear the ashes out. Mm. Like, so when we, you know, when I've shown these pictures to Italians, they're like, what the hell is this? You know? And I'm like, whoa, I'm like, you know, I know they're Catholic. So I I don't, you know, so that, that was surprising to me. So not everybody you know, there, I think that some people like just wipe it off. Like it's just something. It is, does feel and sort so, of American for us to be so demonstrative of our individuality or our. Faith. Yeah. So the whole idea, I mean, we're not, I'm not sure. I have to do a little more research, but I'm not sure where this idea of wearing it out on the street or to work or wherever came from or exactly. But for me, you know, like it, it, I was out, it was in 1997, I was out photographing. I was photographing on the street a lot back then. And, I happened upon this man. Actually, there were several people I saw, but then finally I stopped this one man. He was the first guy. And he, I asked him why, well, actually, I asked him if I could take his portrait and I was afraid he would say no. If I, like, I was thinking maybe he forgot about his ashes. Like, I was like, you know, I just want to take your portrait. So I didn't mention the ashes. And I just said, you know, and then after I'd taken the picture, I said, you know, by the way, uh, I was just curious, like, what's the, you know, why do you have ashes on your forehead? And, and then he explained to me that it, uh, that what Ash Wednesday was. And, and so then I, uh, and then I kind of forgot about it really. I mean, cause a year goes by and, right. and, and it wasn't until the next year that I was, uh, I realized, huh, you know, this could be a project, you know, like I could, you know, if I did this again, you know, I have, I mean, in the first year I had one, 
basically. Like I had four, I think I took four that year or something and, but only one was good. And then, and then, I, so it just kind of accumulated and I realized this is like a basket, mm-hmm. you know, like I just put pictures in a basket and my grandfather was a Methodist minister and I grew up in going to Methodist church and, and they, I mean, I don't recall Ash Wednesday at all. But I think this idea of faith, like for me, you know, because I didn't grow up in a Catholic church and, I, and it's not, I'm not Catholic, but I was very much interested in this, what visually that this, that people were wearing this ancient mm-hmm. mark. I mean, it's like, I mean, it predates Christianity, oh, yeah, I think, definitely. this idea of like putting ashes on your body. And, uh, you know, this, well, even the cross, and then, the but, making predates Christianity, everything. Yeah. About it. The whole, yeah, everything. So, and, but then they're like, you know, hailing cabs and going to work and they're wearing fashion and it's New York city that I love. I love this combination of ancient and modern everything. So there's that one and with so the like, woman with the uh, juicy couture bag. And yeah, but then, yeah. you know, I have this face yeah. and I have this. Yeah, it's, it's, it really does. It's a great vehicle for having these conflicting identities. I'm not even conflicting, just yeah. various identities we all well, carry. Well, but so what happened was I, you know, I started doing it and I was like, well, you know, who I know, like, I don't, I feel like, you know, I'm making pictures of these people. They're devout or something in some way. And I felt like I was, I mean, I remember like in the beginning, like feeling like they would say no because they are wearing ashes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like they're, they're exposing something about them, which is the whole point of wearing it on the street. And so, but what I realized was that they actually were proud and they're like, yeah, you know, like they said, I mean, I got yeses with more conviction on Ash Wednesday than I get in any other time that I'm ever asking somebody. And so like, to me, I realized, oh, okay. And so, and then I, I mean, once I learned more about what Ash Wednesday was about, like that, I realized this is, you know, this makes sense. But, you know, like for me, you know, like, I mean, I've learned a lot (laughs) since the beginning and about, what it's about. And I think that I'm, I'm really, I'm interested in the not perfect part of it that we're, you know, that we're, we're human part of it. And I'm also interested in the ancient and the modern part of it. And, and I also know that, I mean, like the morning bus project, that people are going to come at this in all directions. I actually just gave a talk in Maine to the Maine council of churches, right. To a, a room full of clergy. And so, you know, I didn't see that coming. That wasn't on the Greg Miller bingo card, you know. Well, these are the kind of stories that are invisible to those who are within them. You know, it takes someone who is curious and says, well, why? And then you start seeing a way to tell a visual story that actually has these deeper currents. I think I would photograph it differently if I were Catholic, if I'd grown up Catholic, Catholic. I mean, I think that there's very much an outsider view of this that, is part of that work. And I'm really, and also, you know, it's, it's actually, it's hard. I don't know how to say that. Like, I mean, it's always hard to make pictures. I mean, good pictures, but I found over the years, like, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I mean, 20 years is a long time. That's insane. People ask me, they're like, how do you start projects? I'm like, okay, I can tell you how to start a project. (laughs) I'm not a good person to tell you how to stop it. That's not a good question for anybody. Good Lord. How do you stop a project? Yeah, no. I don't know. So anyway, so, I mean, because I don't know how to quit. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm going to do it again. That's, I guess, the answer. So I, uh. I mean, even after I published the book, I, I still feel like I need to go out and do it. But, you know, and I, and I think, and I just kept going. And so kind of blindly taking pictures, like going out and I'm like, I don't know why, I don't know where this is going. 
like I mean, I guess this is a book, but I don't I don't know when it's being published. Well, speaking and for so, Henry like, Finn, and, who's yeah. not in the room or conversation, he would say yeah. you're doing it because you own a own a day on the calendar, and it's yeah, it's yeah, brilliant, yeah. and it's a, it's a great work. It's also for you, you know, looking at it in terms of your other work, you're actually working a lot more closely with people. It feels like on this day, yeah. and that changes oh, yeah. the whole math. It it, it is harder, and you yeah. know, there's less architecture to deal with. There's less things demarking that you shut this in New York versus another city. You know, there's, there's yeah. less, there's, there's, because there's less, it's much more difficult to make something that really elevates. Yeah. And you know, that, um, that way of photographing actually of like kind of centering somebody like kind of a testimonial portrait yeah. of like where somebody's like looking right in that way of working that predates this way of working that I do now. Like, so when I first, first started working with the eight by 10 camera, I photographed that way. It was just a portrait oh, cool. like that. But I got bored with that. And that's when I started photographing like these narrative portraits where like there's a whole lot of environment. And so, but every day for one day a year, I returned <laughs> to how I returned to the way I photographed in the beginning. And I think that's kind of cool. So for me, it's, it, there's a ritual for me in it. I know that people are practicing their ritual, but you know, in the, and to the extent that all photographers, you know, where this is like a religion sort of, I would say my religion is yes, maybe photography, but really people. And so like in this way, I'm kind of returning to my origins. Well, that's fantastic. Greg, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, this is a lot of fun, John. I mean, thank you for asking. Cheers, <laughs> okay. man. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. My thanks to Greg for stopping by and giving us a chat. You can find much more of his beautiful Guggenheim Fellowship awarded work at gregmiller.com or on Instagram at gregmillerphoto. That's photo with an F and even on Facebook at gregmillerphotography. And friends, if you're loving what you're hearing on Eyeball, please go on to Apple Podcast and give us five stars. Thanks a lot. As always, Scott Pryor holding it down on the music. Listen more at scottpryormusic.bandcamp.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay at home. This is my dad's podcast, and it's called Eyeball. <laughs> Goodbye, you crazy animals.